Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Episcopal Church in Vero Beach, Florida. We are glad to have you join us. Our hope is that this sermon will instill you with a profound sense of God's love and that you might receive and reflect His glory to your community. From St. Luke's Gospel, and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieving for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Morning, friends. Um, I've always read this text. This scene in the upper room occurs both in Luke's gospel and in John's gospel. And I've always read this and thought it was a little strange. Jesus' reaction is a little bizarre. And and what I mean is something kind of like this, that, guys, (laughs) you ever been at home uh, watching a football game or watching the Masters or watching the History Channel or something on TV, and you're having a conversation with your wife at the same time. You ever had this go? Not directly, but you're watching TV, and you're having a conversation with your wife back and forth, and then she finally says, are you listening to me? And you say, did you say something, honey? <laughs> you ever had like, like something like that? That is kind of the way that I have always kind of seen this text, and that it's a little strange. Jesus seems like he's kind of situationally unaware But here's the profound thing from today. Is that true? Or is there something deeper to what's going on in this whole idea of asking these people for a piece of fish? I've got two points today, if I can get this mic to stay on there. Two points. I want to look at first the assurance of Jesus' presence, the assurance of his presence, point one. And then secondly, our call to proclaim it. So the assurance of his presence is point number one. And then secondly, our call, our charge, our mission, if you will, to proclaim. So, before we dive into point number one, this story isn't going to make any sense about the fish and the eating and all kind of jazz. It's not going to make any sense until you get the backstory. Let me explain to you some context. This text from Luke is the evening of Easter day. So this is the day that Jesus had been raised from the dead that morning, but now it's night time. And just before this, what we just read a minute ago, just earlier, two guys, two fellows by the name of Cleopas, thanks for that one, Mom, right? Cleopas and another person that's not named, Cleopas and another unnamed follower of Jesus are on their way, leaving Jerusalem, going to a place called Emmaus. Now, Emmaus is eight miles away And why are they going to Emmaus? It's not to pick up a pizza. In fact, the reason they're going to Emmaus is that they are followers of Jesus. He had been crucified. He had been arrested, charged, crucified, and dead. And they, like everybody else who had been his followers, were afraid for their lives. Kind of like Anne Frank during the Third Reich, that kind of idea. And so Cleopas and this other dude go to Emmaus to skedaddle. That's a Greek word, and it means to leave with haste. They're getting out of Jerusalem to save their own fanny. And as they're walking along to Emmaus, getting out of Jerusalem, getting out of danger, some guy comes alongside them who they don't recognize at first and begins to speak with them about the events that had transpired over the past three days. And they hear what he's saying, and they're curious, and they're intrigued, and they say to him, hey, would you you want to have some dinner? So 
uh, Cleopas and the other guy invite this un, unrecognized person to dinner, and then, as is the custom, the, they break bread to serve it, and then they recognize him. That stranger who had walked along that road to Emmaus, and Scripture says their hearts were burning within them as he spoke, bammo! The minute, the minute he breaks bread, he is revealed to them as Jesus Christ himself. They recognize him. Don't tell me how, or don't ask me how. I don't know. But they suddenly recognize him, and their reaction is, holy Toledo, right? And so what do they do? Well, they did what you would do. They see Jesus, he disappears from their sight, and they think, holy smokes, we were just talking to this guy, and it was Jesus. He really is raised from the dead, just like Mary said this morning. We thought she was crazy, but we've seen it with our own eyes. And they run back to Jerusalem, to their friends who did not leave. They run back to the upper room, and they begin to say to them, guys, you're not going to believe what we saw. And then the text picks up this morning. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. Let me just ask you an obvious question, right? How would you think you would have responded to all this? How would you have reacted to that? Now that you kind of know the backstory, and let me, let me put it to you like this, turn it around in your own, your own life. Have you ever been in a situation where the bottom fell out, right? My dad used to say that when I was a kid. Where you're, where you're in a swirl, right? You, are, you, you're just, you're, you don't know what's going on. You're, your world's turned upside down. You get news about a car accident and one of your friends is killed or, or someone you love and trusted betrays you. <laughs> That's salient for me right now. Or, or you, the point I want you to see here is these people in the upper room, both Cleopas and the, and the other guy and the 11 who were there, they're in a spin where the situation is swirling around them. They can't think straight. They're scared. They're hurt. They're angry. They're in a swirl. When you're in that situation, you've all been there at one point or another, the very last thing you want is someone to roll along and say, hey, man, don't worry about it. The very last thing you want is someone to say, don't worry about it, right? Or to what Jesus says, he appears to them, peace to you. Really? Uh, Jesus, I don't mean to point out the obvious here, but we're like hiding out for our lives because of what happened to you. We're in a bit of trouble here. We're getting all these conflicting stories. We're confused. We're angry. We're scared. Peace to me? Are you kidding me? Look around you, man. The word that Jesus uses there for peace, there's a couple different words in Greek. They all get translated peace in English, but there's one word for peace, pax, which means a cessation of hostility. That's not the word Jesus uses. What he uses, listen to this, is the Greek word ireneo. That's where the word, the name Irene comes from, actually. Ireneo does not mean a freedom from conflict. Listen, it means, listen, it's important. It means being confident and assured in the midst of conflict. In other words, what he's saying is not some stupid mumbo-jumbo about, you know, the sun will come up tomorrow. What he's saying is even though you are scared and terrified, peace, be confident, be assured. And then notice what he does. Read it again. He shows them his hands and his feet. Look, it's me. And they're thinking it's a ghost, it's a spirit, it's something. Dead people stay dead, usually. 
And then he does something absolutely profound. He says to them, do you have something to eat? Why is that important? Because look, a ghost can't eat stuff. And what he's saying to them in this situation, in amongst their swirl and their fear and their doubt and their frustration and anger and all that emotional junk that goes with it, what he's saying to them is, look, guys, it's me. <laughs> it's really me. And that's my point one. The assurance of Jesus' presence. The assurance of his presence. Let me, let me turn this around on you a minute and me. You know, the root cause of the disciples' worry and anxiety and their fear, the root cause of that wasn't the Romans. wasn't the Roman, the Gestapo, if you want to call it that. What the real source of their anxiety was their lack of trusting in God. And it's the same with you and me. Your worry is not caused by the things that you worry about. What your worry is caused by, at its root, at its core, deep down, is your lack of trust in God. Me too. And this is precisely why Jesus says, Abraneo, peace. It's so profound because what he's saying in that moment, when they're in this fear and anxiety and worry, when you are in fear and anxiety and worry, what he's saying to them and you is, I've got this. I've got this. I've got you. In other words, what Jesus is saying in this moment, it's so cool and profound. He's saying, look, don't focus on your fear. Don't focus on your worry. Don't focus on your circumstances. Focus on me. It's me. I'm real. And if you just stop and think about it logically for a moment, and I hope you will, if Jesus can conquer death itself, and he did, then he's got this. He's got you. Paul says, what can possibly happen to you if he's conquered death? So let me ask you this, because this scripture is really about you and me. Where are you worrying right now? Where are you fearful? Where are you anxiety-ridden? What are you scared about? Bad grades in school, maybe? You're that bully on the playground that harasses your kids or your grandkids? The medical tests that weren't clear, or maybe the medical tests that were clear? Maybe you're stressed about getting into college, or you're worried about your money, or you're worried about your marriage, you're worried about your kids. The point I want you to see is that Jesus stands in the midst of all that swirl and struggle and anxiety and worry and fear, and he says, peace to you. I've got this, and I've got you. You know, the Christian life at its root, at its core, is really only about one very simple thing. Once you have become a Christian, then your whole life is spent trying to put more and more of your life under his headship. The Christian life is all about putting more and more of your life, your worries, your fears, your insecurities, your doubts, your sins, under his lordship, under his control. That's what the word Lord means. Somebody who is your king, who rules you. And here's the question. Are you getting better at that? It ain't easy. God knows. But that is what we're all called to do every day. And it's a marathon, not a sprint. <laughs> Let me just ask you some obvious diagnostic questions. Do you do you trust Jesus more now than you did a year ago, or a month ago, or a week ago? Because the only way that you learn to trust Jesus, or anybody else for that matter, the only way you learn to trust somebody is by doing it and seeing if they keep their word, seeing if they will deliver. 
<laughs> if somebody says, hey, trust me, don't trust them. <laughs> the way you trust somebody is you put your confidence in them, and then you see if they can deliver. And the more you do it with a person or with Jesus, the stronger and stronger your faith will become. And the more and more you will find this elusive peace which passes all understanding, you'll see it right in front of you. When you realize that Jesus has got your back, and the more and more you begin to live and trust in that, friends, the stronger and stronger your faith will become. And that leads me to my second point. And that is, once we are assured, as we learn this assurance, this blessed assurance of trusting in Jesus and seeing his work in our lives, and point number two is our mission to proclaim. Did you notice something really cool? That Jesus shows his hands and his feet. He, he shows them his wounds. And what he's doing is he is engaging their doubt. He is giving them evidence. He always does. And he shows them what they need to believe in him. And then he says to them something important. He gives them a charge, a mission. He says that the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in my name, Jesus says, to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem, right there at ground zero. We're going to start here, and we're going to change the world. And then he says, and here's a great line, he says, you are witnesses of these things. That word for witness is a word used for somebody in a court of law. If you were called to take the stand, and Jesus was on the stand, and you were called to provide your, his defense, what would you say? That's what Jesus is saying. You are my witnesses. You are the ones who are to go out and tell the world that I am in control, that this peace which everybody seeks is available through him. And he charges them, and he says, he gives them the Greek word. The word is charisio, and it means to go and tell others what Jesus has done for you that he is alive, that he's real, that you've met him. You know, Christianity is unique in lots of ways, but one of the great things I love about being a Christian, why, why I am one, is because it's so not focused on me. Lots of other religions, what they do is they focus on me, my internals, all about my peace, my place in the world, my understanding, me, meditation, Buddhism, spirituality, all that stuff. Christianity turns that entirely on its head, and it says that our faith is not about me at all, but about proclaiming of being the spokesmen and the spokeswomen for Jesus and the change that he has called in our lives. So here's the question. Are you, is your life a living witness to Jesus' power? When people meet you, do they know that there's something different about you now than there was before? Maybe you're more patient than you used to be. Maybe you support your church joyfully, and maybe before you were a little more hesitant. Maybe you're more forgiving than you used to be. Maybe you're more forgiving of yourself than you used to be. Boy, that's a whopper. Friends, these are all, <laughs> these are all manifestations of this peace that Jesus gives us, of the assurance that he's given to you and to me, that he's got this, that he's got you. And when that assurance really sinks in to your core, your guts, your heart, it changes you. It can't not change you. And then you are called to go out and proclaim. And most people, when they hear proclaim, what they hear is what I'm doing right now, preaching a sermon, right? Telling people about Jesus, reading the Word. Most of you are not preachers. Most of you are not called to preach. In fact, 
vast majority of you are not called to preach. That is true, but you're all teachers. You are all witnesses. You're all called to take the stand because each of you has a story. Every single person in this room has a story about how Jesus has changed and is changing your life for good. Have you shared it? Have you proclaimed it? Are you, do you have the guts to tell somebody who wants to know how they can get this peace that they see in you? Does that peace, that confidence, that assurance, that fearlessness that Jesus gives to us flow out of you? Because you know something. The story is always the same. Always the same. Whether you're Cleopas and the unnamed guy on the road to Emmaus, or those 11 bedraggled, scared fellas in the upper room, or you or me. The story is always the same, always the same. It's not until we meet Jesus and his peace changes us that our faith really clicks, that it begins to become real, and you begin to see how Jesus changes and is changing your world and your life for good. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for Jesus who raised physically from the dead, whose presence assures us in our lives that he's got it, who has give, who's got our backs and who gives us the promise of his peace, his assurance, his fearless, his boldness. Help us to see him as he truly is and help us to be your witnesses to a world which is lost. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.